the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Don't continue to walk in your former lust. Walk in the direction that God has for you. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth right from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. And now for today's Core Truth in Ephesians chapter 4. Now, I entitled this message, A New Walk. Now, there is a a direction that we all seem to go, is there not? I mean, most times uh, when we walk, it's in the path of least resistance, you could say. Or it's the path that's dedicated or, you know, decided by others for us to walk in. Then there are those paths that we choose for ourselves. Some are good paths, while others are, well... Maybe not such good paths that we choose. Some of the paths that we travel can cause serious pain in our lives, as many of us know, and can lead to horrible circumstances. Yes, there are many choices, you could say, on the paths that we choose out there. And when we're young, we never really take into full account the total cost that bad choices will have. Then, of course, there are the decisions that we make on what to do in our spare time when we're maybe off that path because we live in a world that's filled with all kinds of things to do in our spare time, right? I mean, follow sports, we can participate in sports, hobbies, and many different other pursuits in life. You know, uh, all these can consume us. Uh, Consider this guy. His name is David Berry, who walked barefoot on burning coals with a temperature of 1,300 degrees. He broke a record walking over 165 feet on these hot coals. Now, to me, that's insane. I mean, that's just crazy. I think I'll stick with what the Bible says, where it says in Proverbs 6, 28, can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? (laughs) Well, not me. I mean, I'm the guy that's at the beach and the sand is hot. I'm dropping my towel every five feet and getting on the towel, you know, because I got tender feet. So I don't know how these people do the hot coals thing. But anyway, and then there's another kind of a walk. Uh, that not too many people have made, and that was the one that took place on July 20th, 1969. Anyone know what that walk was? Neil Armstrong, the first man to walk on the moon. That's when he said, quote, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. But for us as believers, our high calling from God is to walk on a royal route that leads to heaven. That's a walk that's based on God's purpose for us in our lives because we are his children. So today, we're going to look into the book of Ephesians. Now, the book of Ephesians is a really cool book. It's really broken into three main sections. 
our wealth, our walk, and our warfare. That's how Warren Wiersbe broke it out. And the first three chapters deals with our wealth. Chapter one tells us that God predestined us to be his sons and his daughters and that he lavished his riches upon us. Don't we like that? He lavished his riches upon us, meaning he poured it all out upon us without measure. That means that God has poured his riches on us abundantly. That's his, of course, unmerited favor. As we're reminded in Psalm 139 that God's thoughts towards us are precious and the sum of them is like the sand of the sea. Wow, praise God for that. Chapter two of Ephesians tells us that uh, our past, that is being dead in our sins, uh, only to remind us of our present, which is being saved by his grace. That again, grace is his unmerited favor. That's giving us favor when we don't deserve it. Then our future is being seated along with Jesus in heavenly places one day in glory and seeing him face to face. And until we're sealed with him in heaven, Ephesians 2.10 says, while we're still here on this side of heaven, that we, you and me as believers, are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then in chapter 3 of Ephesians, we're given the wealth of not being in the dark. It says in Ephesians 3.18 that we, uh, us believers, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. And we know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled up to the fullness of God. God doesn't want to keep us in the dark. He wants us to be completely aware of, of, of what his plan and purpose is for our life. And he wants to fill us with that joy. But here, as we enter into chapter four of Ephesians, God deals with our path in life. That's our, our walk with him. It's our calling. Know this, everybody who has ever asked Jesus into their heart as their Lord and Savior has been called to walk with him. Called to walk with him. To walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling of God. Think about that. I mean, grasp onto it, seize this. Jesus totally accepts us just the way that we were when we come to him. So when Jesus called us, what did he say? He says, come just as you are. So we come with our baggage. We come with our bones in the closet. We come with all our faults and failures and all of those things. He says, you just come. So it doesn't matter how messed up we are. It doesn't matter how much of a hole we have fallen into. It doesn't matter. God says, you come. I don't care how messed up things are. But now, once we uh, come to him and accept him into our heart, he does not want us to stay the way that we were. Does that make sense? It's like you come anywhere you are, come with all your problems, but I'm not going to keep you in that place. I don't want you to stay in that place of being messed up. That's why he fills us 
with his Holy Spirit. Because in ourselves, we don't have the power, we don't have the strength to pull up our own bootstraps and and make it all good for ourselves. But he fills us with his power, the power again of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we now have the strength We have now the insight because he's working inside of us that surpasses all earthly wisdom and all earthly knowledge. For our walk, our royal root is not based on ignorance, but rather on the ability to understand what God's will is for each and every one of us. And depending on how we choose to obey what his word says... That will determine how our walk is going to walk out, if that makes sense. Well, today we're going to consider two points in light of our title, A New Walk. Number one, a royal calling. We have a high calling. It's a royal calling from God. And number two, a royal gift. Let's look at this first point, though, a royal calling. As we read together in Ephesians chapter 4, picking up in verse 1, it says... Therefore, I therefore, this is the Apostle Paul writing, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body... And one spirit, just also you were called, just as you were called also in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We'll stop there here for a moment. Now, notice how Paul comes out of the gate here in chapter 4, and he refers to himself as a prisoner. That's a a captive in bonds. Think about that. Paul relinquished his rights as a human. He's he's just like saying, I have now become your prisoner, Lord. I relinquish my rights. He relinquished his own personal desires and his own personal plans He relinquished that. He says, God, I want you to have your desires and your plan in my life. I wonder if there is any part of our lives today that we've decided to not let go of. Okay, I'm a believer. I've come to Christ. I've taken all the goodies, the forgiveness of God, the joy, the peace, all those things. But I'm holding out on a few things that I personally don't want to let go of. Maybe we have things that we simply just don't want to give up. But yet for me, everything that I've ever held on to with that death grip before God, like, okay, God, you can have all this, but I'm not giving up this right here. That one little area, that couple areas of sin, that little thing that entices you. I I don't really want to give that up. Those things that we quote, think are important to us. I realized later for me, those things were actually working in opposition to my relationship with God. It was contrary. It was like a believer 
dating a non-believer. You can justify it all you want, and many people do. It's like, well, you know, they're a good person, and well, they're the nicest person I've met thus far. Hey, I've dated believers before, and they're not as nice as this person is. Oh, okay. Now, we can justify anything, but the bottom line is this. It will become, eventually, it will become a distraction to you in your relationship with God. So you can justify, you can do whatever you want, but that thing will eventually become a distraction. You will stumble because of it, and you will possibly even fall away from the Lord because of it. You will eventually hit a wall. Yet as we surrender those areas that we say, mine, like a little toddler, mine, you can't have it. But when we surrender those areas to the Lord, that's when we realize that God actually has something else that's better for us. And in the case of dating, it's in God's timing, not our timing, that if you wait upon the Lord, the Lord will bring that person into your life who loves Jesus more than they love you. And that's the keeper. Paul went on to say, I entreat you, or in the King James, he says, I beseech you, which means I'm asking you to the point of actually begging you. I beseech you. I I come before you. I'm begging you to walk in this manner, meaning walk in a way where we are continuing to grow in our relationship with God. And and I could just, I could come alongside all of you in the same way. I beg you, it's to your benefit that you put all things off and allow yourself to walk in the way that God wants you to walk. It's going to benefit you in the future. It's going to benefit your relationship with God, which again means that we must die to ourselves. We must die to our wants. We must die to our desires. Remember what Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, they have to deny themselves. Take up the cross and follow me. If you choose to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll really find it. It's like, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense until you do it. And then it makes all the sense in the world. I like what the Bible says in uh, 1 Peter 1.14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to your former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance. Don't, don't continue, don't come to Christ and then continue to try to walk the same two different pathways. Like I'm gonna continue to be who I was before Christ and I'm gonna continue to try to grow in this relationship with God. No, it doesn't work. It's like you've got one foot in the world and one foot in the Lord. And you know, which way are you going? Because they're both going in two separate directions. And after a while, you just keep going, uh, okay, this isn't working. So it's like, which one's it gonna be? It's like, don't continue to walk in your former lusts. Walk in the direction that God has for you. Is it going to be painful? Yes, absolutely at times. Do you want to give up some of those things that you used to enjoy? No, you don't want to give them up. But God has something better. That's the whole point. And it takes time to sever those things so you can realize how much better what God has for you is. And and what are some of the outward signs of this walk? What are some of the tangible attributes of really walking with the Lord. Verse two said that we will have humility. 
humility. That's being humble. Now, I have to admit, when I'm playing Yahtzee, I'm not very humble because I can roll fives, okay? And I, and I just, you know, it's like I get in that competitive mode and I'm not very humble about it. But God wants us to be humble. It, it's putting Jesus first on a serious note and it's putting others and everything else second. And most importantly, it's putting us last. Now, that's not an easy thing to do, as we all know. We like to be first in line. We want special treatment. It's been said that humility is that grace, that when we know that we have it, we've already lost it. (laughs) It's like another tangible sign uh, of gentleness or meekness uh, is meekness is power under constraint. See, the Bible says that, that Moses was the meekest man alive. It, it was, it's power under constraint. Here's the man that God spoke to face to face. Here's a man that his face glowed because he stood in the presence of God. Here's a man that put his staff out and, and the, the Red Sea was split in half. Now, obviously, God did that. But, but here's, a, here's a mighty man of God, but yet he was so humble. He was, it was power under constraint constraints. It was when all the people came against Moses and, and, and they were saying, well, we can do this better than Moses can. And Moses is like, all right, well, if you say so. And he just was very humble about it. And, uh, and he let God do his fighting for him. And that's when God opened the ground and swallowed up all of the people that came against Moses. Yes, God had, had men that he raised up that were, that were meek. They had, there was power under constraint. There were mighty men of God, but it was constrained. It also says that we should have patience, forbearance, and hold up one another in love. So really what Paul is describing here uh, for the true believers, we should have the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is detailed for us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 29, uh, 21. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So when we're walking in the fruit of the Spirit, there is no law against us because we're being exactly who God called us to be, which is really polar opposite of who we are naturally. Notice when we are living this way, again, there is no law against us, only joy and the peace of God and his peace surpasses all understanding. Isn't that really what we kind of want in life is peace and joy? I mean, what do we want? Do we want to, do we really want to go around in life like we've been baptized in lemon juice and be a sourpuss and just be angry at everything and just, you know, be on edge? I mean, we want the peace of God is joy. Joy of the Lord. Wow. Every now and then you're around a believer that just has so much joy. It's amazing. It's amazing how there's times I'll go to a hospital call and, you know, it's under dire situations and the person's dying and you're just thinking like, oh, Lord, what am I going to say to this person? You know, because you're just like, what do I do? You know, and you're walking in there with your Bible and you've got the smile on your face and I am here to pray for you. And boy, all of a sudden they're ministering to you. Oh, pastor, so good to see you. You're such a blessing to me. Remember that one message? That just touched my heart. You're just like, you know, they're encouraging you. It's like, here's this person in bed. They're going to die. 
and they're encouraging you. Well, how does that happen? The joy of the Lord. The fruit of the Spirit is poured out in their life. There was one individual, I'm not going to use their name, but they were dying of cancer. And, you know, I've got to admit that there was times that they were kind of a little bit of a stinker, you know? We, we all have that tendency at times, right? We have the stinker attitude in us sometimes. And, uh, boy, as this person was going down that path of pain, as they were walking down that road that was leading to really the, the end of their life, the closer they got to dying the more of Jesus I saw in them. There was such a transformation in their life. I I could not believe how gentle and loving and kind this person continued to get. Not bitter, never complained about this cancer that was eating their body up. And I'm just, I, I was just in awe of watching the fruit of the spirit come out in this person as their natural body was dying. Wow. But notice, we're all supposed to live this way. We're all supposed to live this way. We're only that joy and peace of God is coming out around us. And notice in Ephesians 4, 3, we need to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. Yet we must know unity is not uniformity. Unity comes from within by God's grace unfolding in our lives. Yes, we as Christians, we need to get along. And I know that we all have a lot of weird little quirks. I mean, just look at yourselves here. You've got quirks. (laughs) We all have our little quirkies, right? It's just who we are. It's what we do. But on a serious note, this uniformity is not a result of pressure from the outside. It should be from the inside of our heart as we allow the Holy Spirit of God to soften our hearts to obey even when we don't necessarily want to. Like what the disciples thought when Jesus turned the tables over in the temple and he drove out the money changers. What did they do? They, they quoted from Psalm 69.9. They quoted that in John 2.17 where it says his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for the house will consume me. So the question is, does, does God's zeal consume us enough to where we can overlook faults in our brothers and sisters. Well, I don't like, I don't like them. I don't like how they look at me. I don't, I don't like their attitude. Attitude. It's like, well, has the love of God, has, has, his, has his zeal consumed us to where we can overlook others and maybe some immaturity that they might have? Or maybe the immaturity is inside of us. But let's look again at verse 4. Again, it says, there is one body, there's one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. It's unity Unity, unity. There's not 5,000 different churches, the Baptist, the Catholic, the Presbyterian, the Unitarian. You know, there's just so many. 
you know, I've said to some people, you know, Baskin Robbins has 31 different flavors of ice cream, or at least they say they do. And the church has like 31,000 different flavors. It's like, oh my goodness. There's only one church. There's just one. There's not all these, well, what are you? Which denomination are you from? There's one body of believers in Jesus Christ. There's only one Lord that's over that body of believers. And if you know Jesus, you are part of the body of Christ. You are his church. His church is not the building. It's not the edifice. It's not this building. The only reason this building is considered the church is because we are in it. That's it. You're the church. You. And God dwells in you. And Jesus is the head. Please join us next time for part two of this message in Ephesians chapter four. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Church is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA to 77977. You can also give via our app and online at corechurchla.org. And remember, there's a God in heaven who loves you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.